Um, I love you guys. And uh, I'm excited to get through the word with you guys. And I, I just love worshiping next to you. And um, we're going to be in John chapter 20. We're going to be in John chapter 20. No easy way to segue after something like that where all your hands are on me. <laughs> I'll look into your eyes now. Like, all right. Okay. John chapter 20, we're going to be John chapter 20, verse 11. Um, We're concluding our Easter series. Um, We're concluding our Easter series called Behold. And and Behold, what it was for Pastor Mark and I, uh, Behold was, uh, it's us trying to get you guys to have a greater appreciation for the Easter story. And, And so we learned about the triumphal entry. We learned about when Jesus entered into the city where he was going to enter into his death. And we learned about last week the crucifixion and the brutality of the crucifixion and just how gnarly it was for Jesus. Not only on a physical basis, guys, never, never mistake it. Yes, the crucifixion was so brutal. And, and I think Pastor Mark went through some pretty nice detail last week to, to give us an idea of just how incredibly hideous the cross was. But listen... Jesus, a man being nailed to the cross, that's not enough to atone for your sins, right? I can't do that for you. The the brutality of the cross was not in the pain that Jesus had to endure. Rather, it was the fact that every sin we've ever committed, past, present, and future, was thrown onto him. And in the moment where he was hanging there on the cross, he looked exactly like us. Taking the punishment, we ought to. And, and some of us may say, yeah, but what is sin, really? You know, what is sin? Like, sin's a harsh word for some people to swallow because it has some connotations where when we think of sins, we have these specific things in mind that we do. And uh, we're going to be going deeper into what sin really is tonight because I feel like saying Jesus died for your sins isn't always sufficient for you to get the full gravity of what that actually means. You know what I mean? And so we're going to be in John chapter 20, verse 11. We're going to be going all the way to verse 23, but for now, we'll read the ver- uh, verse 11 through 18. So it'll be up here for you guys if you'll read it with me. John chapter 20, verse 11. This is after Jesus had resurrected It says, but Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping and she wept. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one of the other at the feet where the body of Jesus was laying. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Now, when she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Woman, whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabbani, which is to say, teacher, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have yet ascended to my, I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. This is going to be our passage. You guys ready? Yeah. You guys don't sound ready. You guys ready? All right. Lord, we love you. 
Uh, we, we cherish this time. We get to learn about you. God, I pray that anything that is said from me, Lord, would be completely forgotten. What is said of you, Lord, it may just remain in our hearts, God. And so, Lord, um, anoint this time, God. Anoint the preaching, but anoint the hearing and receiving of your word, which is where the seed is planted, God. And so, God, already be tilling upon our hearts, Lord, what you would want to plant in us, God. And so we love you. We give you all honor and all glory and all praise. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. As I said, guys, um, Jesus had just, just to give you guys some context, Jesus had just died a very, very brutal death. If you guys want to go through all of the details and the anatomy of what happened in the crucifixion, you guys can go to our website and listen to Pastor Mark's sermon from last week. Um, It's very good for us to get that fresh view of what the cross truly looks like, right? Because I think we have this romanticized and Hollywood version of the cross sometimes in our heads. And it really dumbs down Jesus' sacrifice for us sometimes. And so it's super important for us to realize just how, uh, how, how much God sacrificed for us. And we look and we recognize how brutal it was. But what we need to see is beyond that, Jesus became our sin in that moment. Jesus became our sin, past, present, and future. So when he screamed, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You see, it would seem absurd for God to forsake Jesus, his son. It would seem absurd. Knowing how connected Jesus was to the Father, it seems ludicrous that that God would remove his presence from Jesus. But it's only because in that time when Jesus was hanging on the cross and when he said, God, why have you forsaken me? It's because in that moment, guys, God removed his presence. And, and, and here's the thing. We, many times we think of God's wrath. We, we look at the concept of God's wrath and what it means. It's, it's a brutal thing to think about, and it's something we don't like to think about nor talk about. But God's wrath, the reality is, yes, sometimes it is pouring upon wrath. But very often, mostly in the Old Testament, very often in Scripture, wrath is displayed by God by him turning from his people. The absence of God is far worse than the presence of him angry. God removing his presence from you, removing his common grace from you. You know, even if, a, even if there's someone who isn't a Christian and, and they, totally, they totally denied the presence of God, God is still present in their lives in common grace. They get to breathe. They get to get up in the morning. They get to have friendships. They get to eat good food. All things God has given and so, and so more often than not, God's wrath is displayed as a removal of his presence, a removal of his common grace. That's why we see in the Old Testament all the time where God's like, you guys, you keep running from me. You keep running from me. So you brought your wrath upon yourselves. You run away from my presence. And naturally, the enemies surround you. Bad things start to occur. You're running away from my presence. So God often doesn't have to do anything to display his wrath. He need but just remove his presence or you remove yourself from his presence. And so in that moment, guys, the fellowship between Jesus and God that had been happening for all of eternity was severed because he had taken on all of your sin. In that moment on the cross, he looked like you and me with sin, all sin. Now, before we look at the resurrection, 
before we look at the, the beauty of the resurrection, and, and, and when I say that, yes, Jesus died on the cross for your sins, we need to understand, we need to understand that sin, sin isn't as simple as you may think. Sin isn't as simple as you may think, because here's the thing, when you come up with your own definitions of sin, that's when you come up with your own definitions of who needs to save you from your sin, Right? If you come up with your own definition of what is right and wrong, you're going to naturally come up with your own definition of when you need Jesus and when you don't need Jesus, right? And, 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 so, and so sin is not just doing bad things. And we may say, well, yeah, I mean, I guess I sin sometimes, but I'm not, am I really a sinner? You know, like I, I feel like I'm a pretty decent human being and more often than not, I'm going to do the right thing. And, and, and I, I would venture to say, just knowing many of you, you are good people. We're good people. At least we endeavor to be good people. But that doesn't mean you're absent of sin. It doesn't mean you're absent of sin because sin is not just doing bad things. It's removing yourself from God and not trusting in him. It's removing yourself from God. Here's what I mean. What was the first sin in the garden? What was the first sin man ever committed? Is eating of the fruit, right? It was eating of the fruit. Now, now we think often that the sin was the act of eating the fruit, but we eat fruit all the time, right? <laughs> you know, it, the action of eating the fruit was not sin, okay? It was not, an, it was not an overt defiance of God saying, I'm going to eat this fruit, right? The sin was... Not trusting that God meant what he said when he said, you will surely die. Right? And so it was, it was essentially saying, when, when Adam and Eve, when they ate the fruit of the, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they were essentially saying, mm, yeah, but God said this, but I think I'll be okay anyways. Does that make sense? So sin is not simply the bad things we do. It's not going along with the plan God has set in front of you. It is removing yourself and not trusting in God. Sin, sin is not just what we do, but it's what we do not do. What we fail to do. And so that encompasses a lot, doesn't it? Not just what the bad things that we do, but also the good things that we should have done. Right? It says in James, to a man that knows to do good, but does not do it to him, that is sin. Right? And so sin is not just doing bad things, it's the removal of doing what God has intended us to do. Sin is rebellion. Rebellion. And, and we know this, guys, that rebellion is not just doing something. Rebellion is often, if you've experienced life with teenagers, some of you still are teenagers and in an act of rebellion against your parents, or some of you are adults and still in an act of rebellion against your parents, or you're fighting against the man in another way. Establishment. Down with the establishment. Yeah. <laughs> but here, here, here's the thing, guys. Rebellion is not necessarily storming in and fighting, right? Rebellion, oftentimes, is that passive-aggressive deciding not to do what someone tells you to do, right? It's not necessarily like you're doing something bad. It's you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. That's rebellion, right? That is also sin. We have to realize that is also sin. And so, guys, I need you to remember this word, rebellion. Everyone say rebellion. 
Rebellion. Rebellion. All right. We remember this word. Okay. You're going to need this word. You're going to need to remember it for the significance of this passage of Scripture. Israel, like us, was in rebellion, constant rebellion. And as it says in Hosea 11, God is speaking to Israel. He says, how can I give you up, Israel? He says, how can I give you up? This is, this is God talking to his beloved, his people. He says, how can I give you up, Israel? How can I abandon you? My heart will not let me do it. My love for you is too strong. This is God talking to his beloved. He said, I, I can never give up on you. I can never give up on you. The pe- he says, the people of Israel have surrounded me with lies and deceit, and the people of Judah are still rebelling against me, the faithful and holy God. But yet, how can I give up on you, O Israel? So you need to understand, yes, we are all under this rebellion against God. We, we don't always do what we should do, and we do the things that we should not do in the face of a holy God, but we need to understand that God, he, he will never stop pursuing you. He'll never stop pursuing you. He, he, it's so, he says, how can I abandon you? In, in, in God's mind, the, the, very fa- the very thought of abandoning his children, he just, how could I do that? And to think about how much it tears God's heart to abandon one he loves. Think about, think about for a second that feeling. Because God is a God of emotion and feeling, guys. Don't think him to be a stoic up in the sky. Imagine that feeling when he had to put his son on the cross and turn from him and forsake him, abandon him. Because he says to Israel, how could I abandon you? I love you far too much. And yet he abandoned his own son so that he wouldn't have to abandon you. He abandoned his own son and, and, and all of your sin, all of your baggage, all of your insecurities was put on him. And he abandoned his own son. He forsook his son also that he would not have to abandon you, children of God. That's good news, right? Somebody say amen. That is good news. That is such good news. And so now, guys, now, Jesus, after dying on the cross, after taking upon that sin, he rose again. He rose again. There was a great earthquake. He rose again. He went out of his tombs. But I, I find it funny that it also says in Scripture that, like, he folded his, like, garments, right? <laughs> like, like he, he got out of his, like, clothes that he was in when he was, and he just, like, folded them nice and, like, put them on his little bed. And, you know, he's just chilling. You know, he, he folded, you know, Jesus, he was in no rush, you know? Just, all right. And he, he folded his clothes, and, and he walked out. And uh, Mary Magdalene, she came to the tomb and she saw that the tomb was empty. And so she ran and she got Peter and John. She said, come here, the tomb is empty. And Peter and John, they're looking at it and they're like, our God, our Savior, he's gone. They've taken his body. And we learn later on that Peter goes fishing. Peter goes fishing, John goes back to the house where all the disciples are. And Mary, she's just looking at the empty tomb. She's just looking at the empty tomb. And Mary is just weeping. Guys, we have to understand a few things about Mary. Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene, she had uh, 
been healed from demon, illness, and sickness by Jesus. It says in scripture that there's many times where Jesus had to cast demons out of her. And demons can mean many things in scripture. Demons mean demons, illnesses, ailments, emotional problems, social problems, insecurities. Jesus was constantly casting these things out of Mary. She was a very uh, physically, emotionally, and spiritually dysfunctional woman. She was a very, very dysfunctional woman. And she had no home. She had absolutely no home. Some people believe that she was the prostitute that Jesus saved um, when the Pharisees were about to stone her. The Bible doesn't say it, but some people think that. Either way, Mary lived a very, very rough life. Life was not easy for her. And she remained after Jesus had healed her time and time and time again. She eventually found a home among Jesus and the apostles and, and all the other women that followed them. And, and, and so, so Mary, she finally found this home in the presence of Jesus. Being so emotionally and spiritually dysfunctional her entire life, being shunned by others, finally found acceptance in the body of Christ. Finally found acceptance. Mary, though, Think about this, the man that healed her from all this illness, that finally brought her out of the depths of her own insecurities, brought, brought her out of everything. She watched as he marched, bloodied and bruised, carrying a cross up the mount. She watched as he was nailed to the cross and he hung there and people spat in his face and mocked him. She watched as someone jabbed a spear through his side. She was there as Jesus declared, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? She was there when Jesus finally let out a last breath. It is finished. She was there. She witnessed all of this. She was there when, when, uh, when Jesus was taken down, when he was buried, and she finally went to go visit the tomb to find that it's empty. So not only has the one person who brought her out of everything, not only is he dead, but now she can't even grieve properly because someone has stolen his body, she thinks. So she stands there weeping and weeping, She's lost everything. She's lost it. You, you can imagine how, how much her hope is probably dying at this point. Will my demons come back? Will my demons come back if Jesus is dead? Will I be vulnerable again? Will I still have a home if Jesus is gone? Because here's the thing, guys. If Jesus is dead, if Jesus is dead, your insecurities, your sins, your addictions, they're not dead yet. They're not done for. If we don't worship a risen king, then yeah, you may, you may have put your hope in Jesus, but if he's not risen again and he's not alive, there's no way you can live in freedom. There's no way. And Mary's experiencing this as right now. She's, she's experiencing it. And it says in verse 12, go back to verse 12, guys. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the end, uh, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? 
She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She supposed him to be the gardener and said to him, sir, if you have crucified him, I mean, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Now I'll take him away. You see, some of us refuse to have joy in our Christian walk. Some of us refuse to have joy. We can't do it. We can't. We, we can't have joy. And do you know why? Uh, uh, and I, I've met these people where their Christian life is full of weeping. Just, that's, that's all it is. It's all it ever is with some people. They weep and they weep and they weep. And, and, and they, they just feel the weight of their, of their issues, but it's a constant weight of their issues. And they're in a continual state of weeping and they can't experience joy in their Christian walk. And that's because Jesus died for their sins, but they're still in, they're not, they're still in the grave. Jesus is still in the grave. So, so yeah, Jesus died for their sins, but they have no victory. So, so they, gave, they gave their sins to Jesus and Jesus died. So, so there's no victory there. The one whom they put their hope in is, is dead. And, and I would say this is a huge metaphor for those Christians who just can't stop weeping. And it's just a new problem after new problem after new problem after new problem. And there's never joy. There's never satisfaction. That's because they haven't realized that they worship a risen king who's done away with that and is not living. You see, Jesus may have died for you, but does he live in you? We love the fact that Jesus has taken away our sins. Yes, Jesus has died for you, but does he live in you? And that's the question I need to honestly ask myself because I love to take my baggage to God. And I love for him to die for my sins because that way I get to go to heaven. Bam. But this life here on earth is miserable because Jesus isn't living in me. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you have, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. She doesn't recognize Jesus. She doesn't recognize Jesus. Jesus is right there. He's right in front of her. He's right there. But she's oh so overcome with grief that she doesn't even turn around to look at who is there. She's so overcome, right? And supposing him to be the gardener, she doesn't even take any, any thought of who he is. She, she doesn't take any thought. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? So overcome with grief. So overcome with grief that she doesn't see Jesus the Savior, but Jesus the gardener. Let it sink in. I did it, Mark. I don't know how I feel about it. Dane's ashamed of me right now. 
Dane told me not to. Mark said, go for it. Hey, it's all factual. Take it up with Jesus. Okay. (laughs) But Jesus is right there. Jesus is right there, guys. Right there. And, And guys, when we're so overcome with our own insecurities and our own grief, and when we don't worship a risen king, when we don't recognize that he's alive, we will never be able to get past the shroud of self pity. Self pity, guys, weeping constantly, it's pride. It's, it's not looking at the Jesus that has risen right in front of you. And Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary, Mary. And she turned to him and said, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. Jesus calls her by name. Jesus calls her by name. It says in John chapter 10, verses three through four, it says the sheep hear the shepherd's voice. The sheep hear the shepherd's voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Mary is stuck in her own sorrow and grief. She's stuck in it. Everything she knows has gone. If Jesus is gone, what if her demons come back? What if her insecurities come back? It's so hard. But Jesus, when he calls her by name, by name, when the shepherd calls his sheep by name, there's that automatic recognition. Oh my gosh. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And guys, I I want to be, I I, want to be just intentional with this sermon. I'm going to give you three things. I'm going to give you three things to draw closer to God, to live a life with God. To live a life with God. It was Paul who said in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. So listen, Christian, that doesn't believe in the resurrection, your faith is empty. Your faith is empty. You being here, I hope it leads you to a knowledge that Christ wants to be alive in you. And I know, I know it can be a struggle wrestling with resurrection, really? That's what I love, that we have a faith that is not only based on a book, but based on history, right? Christ is risen. Christ is risen. If Christ is not alive, there's no point to being here. He's dead. He's dead. (laughs) What is the Christian? A Christian means Christ follower, right? Little Christ, right? If Christ is dead, who are we following? What, is the name, what does the name Christian bear, right? Christ is alive and we are following him. And I love this, guys. I love it when he says, Mary. And that's when she turned to him, turned to him and said, Rabbi, teacher. Jesus calls Mary by name. Mary, she calls her by, he calls her by name. Is anyone here named Mary? Anyone here named Mary? Middle name Mary, maybe? Nice, right, cool. So even if this is wrong, like you guys will never know. Um, I promise it's right. But do you guys, does anybody here know what Mary means? 
rebellion. The name Mary means rebellion, rebellious one. Remember, we talked about rebellion? Yes, I made you say it many times. Rebellion, rebellion, say it, rebellion. Mary means rebellion, rebellious one. That is what the name Mary means. Listen, the first point that I have for you guys to living a life with God, the first point is to respond to God's call. Respond to God's call. Respond to God's call. It says in Psalm uh, 139, it says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Guys, there's, there's, there's something that needs to happen in our Christian faith. We come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We come to this realization of him. That's step one. Then there's step two, which is where we learn about him. We get discipled, right? We start to go to church. We start to get in the groove of things, right? We start to learn more about this faith that we found ourselves in. Step three is serving. We, we learn to serve. We learn to kind of find our place and where we belong in the church. Now here's, that is where I would say about 95% of Christians stop. Serving. There's another step. And it's being known by God. Having this intimate friendship with him that when he calls you by name, you recognize his voice. You recognize his call. And this comes with having an intimacy and transparency with him. So yes, you serve in the church, you go to church, you attend church, you're learning about him, you're growing, you're learning in knowledge and and your passion is growing for the Lord. But when it's just you and him and nobody else is around, what's your relationship like? And at the point where you're on your knees and you're sobbing and you're crying and you're on the floor and your life is broken, if God was calling you by name, would you answer? Would you recognize his voice? Did you spend time sitting at his feet and learning how to recognize who he is? Says the shepherd here, uh, the shepherd, he speaks and the sheep hear his voice. He calls them by name. So yes, you're able to exist in a community of believers. You're able to come to church and worship together and serve together. But when it's just you and God, is there an awkwardness? Is there a rebellion that you guys have not addressed yet? Because here's the thing, guys, you're missing. You're missing all new heights with your relationship with God. If you're not allowing yourself to be called out of rebellion. Does God know your name? If Mary means rebellion, when he calls Mary, 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 she's on her face. She's refusing to listen. She's refusing to look at who's speaking to him. And she's sobbing. And when he says, Mary, rebellion, rebellion, when he calls rebellion, Mary, what does she do? She turns around. She turns around and she sees him. What does repent mean? To turn around. When Jesus calls you out on your sin, your rebellion, what do you do? How do you react to it? The first step to being intimate with God and living a life with God is allowing him 
is allowing him to call you out on your rebellion. And that's hard. <laughs> that's so hard. Oh my gosh, and that doesn't preach well. <laughs> like some of you are like, ah, oh, almost decided to come back, right? Until he told me that I need to repent, right? Repent. I'm just saying this to your own benefit. For those of you who have felt like, ah, man, I've been a Christian for so long, but where's the... Where's that joy? Where's that extra? Why can't I feel God? Are you in rebellion? And are you refusing to turn around when he calls you out on it? Right? And this is something that I, I, myself, uh, God, oh man, <laughs> guys, becoming a pastor, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, God just reveals time and time and time again, this is where you fall short. This is where you fall short. This is where you fall short. And the difference between someone who has an intimate friendship with God and someone who kind of just likes God is that when God calls you out on your sin and your rebellion, I say, thank you, Lord, even though it hurts. Others will say, how dare you, God? I'm never coming back. Your friendship with God, how you measure it, should be in some sorts, in some levels, how you respond when someone calls you out on your sin. Do you run away? Do you confront them? So that's the first point that I want to leave you guys with is responding to God's call even when it's a difficult one, even when he's calling you out on your Mary, <laughs> your rebellion, right? Because you know what? You can continue in your sin. Go for it, Right? Even, you know, I, I'm not hurting anyone. I just, I want to keep rebelling, whatever, fine. You don't get God though, right? You don't get him. And, and, and God's like, all right, you go. You don't get me. And the wrath of God is often summoned upon uh, what we do, right? God, God doesn't, God's just like, oh, wrath naturally happens the farther away you get from me. So we call it upon ourselves. Go back to John chapter 20 in verse 19. We'll have it up here for you. John chapter 20, verse 19. It says, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then, he, uh, then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Where were the disciples when, after Jesus died? Where were they? Give me an answer. Where were they? Hiding in a house. They were hiding in a house. Guys, guys, if Jesus is dead, we have every reason to be afraid of the world. We have every reason to be ashamed. Because, hey, I don't, I don't bash the disciples at all. Jesus, to them because they haven't really comprehended this whole Messiah 
rising again thing that hasn't really hit home here. Disciples were slow. It should encourage you. <laughs> Me. Listen, if Jesus is dead, then we have every reason to be afraid of the world. We, we have all rights to be afraid. We have every reason to, be, uh, to, to define ourselves based on whether the world accepts us or not, or what people think of us. Because the one who accepted them and led them and gave them a home is dead. So in their minds, no home, no acceptance, no mission, no calling. All of it's gone. So now they're just traitors, right? Now they're just wanted men who are probably going to face the same death that Jesus did. And then Jesus comes, and the first thing he does is show them his scars. You notice that? He comes, Jesus arrives, and he, he, the first thing he does is say, peace, peace. And he, he shows them his scars. He shows them where the nails were driven through his wrists and his feet. He shows them all the scars on his face from when the thorns were there. Maybe the lashes on his back. How torn up he was. He shows them. What are scars? What are scars? They're, they're proof of what is past. They're proof of what is past. So Jesus shows them his scars and he says, look. Look. Behold. Your sins are past. These scars are proof that your sin is dealt with and buried. There is victory because of my scars here. Look upon them, Christians. Look upon the cross and say, there is victory there because Jesus has risen again. Amen? There is victory. The pain of your sin, your insecurity, and your vices. He's saying they were all taken. These scars are proof that you don't need baggage anymore. I've taken it upon you. You don't have to weep anymore. You don't have to cower in fear in the houses, afraid of what the world's going to do to you. What are they going to do to you that's worse than what they did to me? Every punishment that you should be afraid of, I took for you, right? So you shouldn't be afraid of the punishment of men. You should be afraid of the punishment of God, and you no longer have to be afraid of that. My scars are proof of that. I took on the punishment of God so you wouldn't have to. So go, therefore. Don't be afraid of the wrath of God. Rather, live in friendship and unity with God. And just do anything you want in the name of Jesus. And don't care what the world thinks. Don't care. We go forward. We go forward. And so the second, guys, the second the second thing we need to do to draw closer to God, to, to live a life with God is put your sin on the cross and keep it there. Put your sin on the cross and keep it there. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57 says this, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain and in the Lord. Paul had just said earlier in that chapter, if Christ isn't risen, all our work is in vain. All our work is empty. It's in vain. But now he says, because Christ is risen, because we have victory in Jesus Christ, you can be steadfast, immovable, and knowing that your labor and the things you do are not empty. 
They're not in vain. Since Jesus has risen and, risen and proven that your sin has no power, put your sin in its proper place. Put your sin in its proper place, guys. And listen, listen. This is a state of mind that's helped me tremendously. So I'm going to make it practical for you guys. Because, yeah, put your sin on the cross. Woo! Yeah, I feel like a lot of stuff in Christianity is like that, right? Like super idealistic. Oh, that's great in theory, right? What do I do? <laughs> a lot of this, guys, has to do with the state of mind you're in and how you view Jesus. It's being an intentional, and it's what Paul meant when he said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You really have to discipline and train your mind to recognize that Jesus has victory over your sin. I've experienced myself just tremendous victory over a couple specific sins that I struggled with my entire life. Like, almost my, like most of my life. In the past year, I have experienced so much victory over these sins. And a lot of it has to do with me just being in the right state of mind saying, okay, it's not me, like, it's not me trying not to do it. Does that make sense? It's not me mustering up some sort of motivation in order to not sin. It's me simply putting my sin in its place, saying, uh, no, that's dead. That's done. That's like not a thing anymore. That's what I say to myself all the time. I, that's what I say to myself. Like, that's, that's not a thing anymore, right? That's what I say. Like, anytime I'm like pondering, like, you know, like, ah, oh, the computer. Nope, that's not a thing anymore, Right? That's not a thing anymore. That's just like, it's, it's, it's not, it's dead. And, and so putting your sin in its proper place and, and having that mindset, whether it be gossip, whether it be, whether it be lying or cheating, all right, whether it be some sort of pride issues that you have, whether it be you treating somebody that shouldn't be treated the way they're being treated by you, we all have our sins. We all have our vices, guys. I'm not going to name them for you. You know, <laughs> you know what you struggle with, all right? It's a matter of putting your sin in its place. Jesus, like, that's, it's dead. I put my sin on the cross. I nail it to the cross. It's, it's not a thing. Train your minds to be like that, guys. It's not like, ah, oh, Lord, help me. Have victory over this. No. No, stop praying that. I hate, like, I hate that prayer. Help my brother to have victory over this. No, no, no. Jesus has victory over it. Help my brother to recognize that. Amen? Yeah. Yeah. And so, guys, it's all a matter of perspective, the way we view our sin. Nail it to the cross. You don't need to have victory over it. Jesus already has victory. You just put it in its place. Okay? Put it in its place. Bury it where it belongs, in the grave where Jesus left it. Amen? In verse 20, John chapter 20, verse 20. I love this. I love this. It says, when he had said these things, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the father has sent me, I also send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. I'll close here, guys. Um, 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything. He created everything with his words, right? Let there be light, bam. Land, bam. Stars, bam, right? He, he, he spoke everything into existence and all the world was created. When he created man, he created him out of the dust of the earth. God took a deep breath and he breathed in the life into man. He breathed his spirit into man. We did an entire series on the Holy Spirit called Church on Fire and we learned that, that the Holy Spirit is pneuma, the breath of God, pneuma. And so, so when Jesus, when he, when, he, when he breathed on his disciples, it kind of seems weird, right? Like when you guys were praying over me, like breathing, like it's kind of awkward and moist and it's weird. But with Jesus, it means something totally different, right? With Jesus, it's totally different. When Jesus breathed on his disciples, when he breathed, he said, receive the Holy Spirit. So in the garden of Eden, when God was creating man, he formed him out of dust and he breathed his life into Adam. And so likewise, we who became dead in our trespasses because after Adam had sinned, the breath of God, the spirit was removed. And so when Jesus came back, he breathed on his disciples, breathing in new life new life of the Holy Spirit. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. When you allow God, when you allow God to call you by name, call you by name and define you, when you put your sin on the cross, you begin to empty yourself of you. When you allow God to define who you are, when you allow God to call you by name, whether it be out of rebellion or out of obedience, when you allow God to define you and who you are, and you stop looking to other people to tell you how pretty you are and how talented you are, when you finally stop looking at others to define you, when you finally stop defining yourself based on how many likes you get on Instagram or how many friends you have on Facebook, when you finally start to define yourself properly, and let, allow God to define you, what's going to start to happen is that you find yourself being humbled and emptied of who you are. But then there's still some stuff left. There's your sin nature. There's a bunch of just rebellion in you. There's a bunch of vices and addictions you've accumulated. And so then you take, you empty yourself of that and you nail it upon the cross. That's another act of emptying you of you. You're emptying yourself. And then finally, when you have emptied yourself, that's when God can breathe in life to you. God can breathe life into you. Some of you are wondering, why, why can't I ever be used of God? Why does he use all those other people? Have you emptied yourself? Have you emptied yourself? Can you really, truly embody the verse that Paul says in Galatians 2.20? I've been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Have you nailed yourself to the cross? Have you nailed your sin to the cross, your flesh to the cross, all of your baggage that you define yourself as, all the pride? And so the third, guys, is live by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. You're not... You're not, you're not, you're not. That's it. 
you're not supposed to do it. You're not supposed to do this Christian thing. You're not supposed to serve in this way. You're supposed to empty, empty yourself out and pour yourself out to God and allow him to fill you with who he is. Allow him to define you. Allow him to fill you up. And you do that by spending time with him, humbling yourself before him, allowing him to call you out on the sins that you've been committing. And that's when it gets really cool. (laughs) That's when life gets so fun. (laughs) That's when your Christian walk stops becoming disappointment after disappointment after disappointment because you don't add up. Well, the thing is, we don't add up. And so less of us and more Jesus is a good thing, right? Yeah? Yeah. And so stop it. (laughs) Live by the Spirit. Crucify your sin. Allow God to call you by name and know you in a deeper manner. All of you, all of you, Christian, God wants all of you. He wants to take the dryness of who you once were and fill you up anew with fresh life. Amen? I'm going to have the worship team come back up, and we're going to be engaging in worship and communion. And guys, um, it's super cool. It's super cool. Because Jesus says, this is my body that was broken for you. And then he passed the bread to his disciples. Guys, and, and so he, here's the thing, you know, communion becomes super religious, right? And so that's why I'm just going to encourage you. If you're not feeling it, don't do it. You know, if you're not feeling communion, don't, don't do it. This is for you to recognize Jesus. This is for you to recognize, all right, Christ's body was broken for me. Christ's body was broken for me so that I can be a part of something greater, his body. I could be a part of his church body. I could be a part of his community. Right, so, so Christ's body was broken. My body wasn't broken, but now I, 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 can, I can live in this new life with the church family that I have. I can live in the covenant with God. I could be a part of his resurrected life. So yes, we, we eat remembering the crucified Savior, but we also eat remembering that the same Savior that was crucified rose again. And we remember the tremendous sacrifice that he made on the cross, but then we also look to the future and we look at all the awesome opportunities we have ahead of us to be a part of his body. And then we look at the blood that was shed. Jesus' blood was pure, He was without sin. He was spotless. And when when we take that juice, guys, essentially what we're doing is we're aligning ourselves. We're saying, I recognize that Jesus is pure. He is sinless. He is spotless. And when I drink of this, I'm remembering the blood that was shed for me. When I remember the blood that was shed for me, essentially what I'm saying is I desire, I desire to be under covenant with God. And I just want to renew that covenant as much as I can. I want to be reminded of that covenant as much as I can. And what covenant basically means, guys, it's a promise. It's almost like a marriage, only we break it all the time. But awesome thing about a covenant is that God's like always faithful, even when we're not. And so that's why we take communion, guys. And I really encourage you guys to worship. And as you worship... As you worship, guys, recognize your sin before God. 
Allow yourself to worship in brokenness as well as joy. Put your sin upon that cross and then rejoice that you get to live by the Spirit. Amen. Lord, we love you. We desire this to be your night. And God, um, oh man, help me to draw closer with you tonight. I need you. I need you, Lord. Well, everyone keeps their eyes closed and their heads bowed. If there's any of you tonight that you feel like, man, I I haven't really lived a life with God. I've never really given myself over to him. I've never, I've never allowed myself to be a part of what God has for me. I've never turned around when he's called my name. For those of you that are recognizing the voice of God tonight in your life for the first time, and you would like to enter into that relationship with Jesus, with everyone's eyes closed and their heads bowed, it's just between you, me, and the Lord. Paul says, uh, if you confess with your tongue and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved to the glory of the Father. If you know this gospel, that Jesus died for your sins and God poured out all of his wrath on Jesus so that you wouldn't have to be punished, but Jesus also rose again so that you can live a new life. If that's any of you here tonight, between you, me, and the Lord, just raise your hand. Amen, I see you. Amen. Amen, I see you. Amen, I see you. Amen, I see you. Church, we're all going to pray together. And some of these people are going to be saying this prayer for the first time. There's nothing magical about the prayer. But we're all going to say it together as a church because we all mean it as a church. And some of these people are going to be saying it for the first time. It's not a magical prayer. It's just them simply for the first time declaring their dependency on the Lord. And so will you repeat after me, church, and just encourage your brothers and sisters as they receive Christ into their hearts and as we renew our covenant with them. If you just repeat after me, Lord Jesus, I love you because you first loved me. I know that you are king. I know that you love me. I know that you desire me so much that you would die for me and that you would give me new life. Live in me. Die for me. I want all of you. So I give you all of me. I want to live a life with you. I want to be with you for all of eternity. Help me walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Give a hand for those who just received the Lord. God, we lift this time up to you. We give it all to you. We give you our praise and our unabashed worship. Allow allow these words to just penetrate our hearts and for us to scream and shout your name because you are so deserving of it. We love you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship.